0: Genre Stop, a podcast where we read and review genre fiction. You're here with Bree, a lover of all things speculative, and Scott, a skeptic of all things fantastical. Tonight we'll be introducing you to the podcast and discussing an aborted attempt to read Anne McCaffrey's Dragonflight. So first, let's talk a little bit about what we're doing here. As you just heard, Bree and I are going to be coming at these books from kind of different positions. I'm pretty unfamiliar with speculative fiction and Bree's never had any hang-ups about the types of books she reads. That said, it might be worthwhile to talk a little bit about our own histories with genre fiction, how we define that term anyway, and our own relationship to it. So yeah, Bree, how, how would you characterize your relationship to genre fiction?
1: Well, not to disparage our podcast in the first moments of my speaking. But I've always been pretty resistant to the way we classify these types of books and the meanings encoded in the term genre fiction. I mean, all fiction is essentially make-believe stories meant to engage a reader. Some of these stories are successful and some aren't. Some could happen in real life and some couldn't. I think the phrase genre fiction has more to do with how these books are marketed and that's not very compelling to me as a reader. It doesn't speak to my experience of reading and getting lost in one of these of course this take on it is somewhat theoretical and maybe even wishful thinking i mean i get what someone means when they use the term it usually denotes speculative fiction sci-fi or fantasy but to a less visible extent it includes mysteries and romance novels and it's used to refer to books that don't really aspire to the realm of great literature Books that are plot-based, unrealistic or fantastical, formulaic, rely on a predetermined set of archetypes, and are meant for unreflective consumption. That being said, I've read a good deal of these. In particular, I have a lot of affection for fantasy novels. And this might sound simplistic, but I like them because they're thrilling. They're really good at plot, and that often makes them page-turners, and I like that. I mean, I read for a lot of reasons, but escapism is definitely one of them. There's a real pleasure in being taken out of myself and the thoughts and landscapes that populate my real life. I like entering a world where the stakes are so high. In one of these books, what's at stake isn't, hmm, like, will this middle-aged intellectual cheat on his wife? Will she find out? Rather, it's more, will the world end, you know? Will the characters be torn apart by monsters? (laughs) (laughs) I like the high passions like that and the extreme dynamic characters that come out of those scenarios. I think when a writer pulls that off, there's a certain type of magic to it that's occasionally just as potent as, for example, uh, the magic of beautifully crafted prose that's more characteristic of literary fiction. So yeah, I often leave a fantasy book or a sci-fi book feeling really satisfied. And there might be something sort of base about that satisfaction. I'll grant you that, but still, it keeps me coming back.
0: Cool, yeah, that's a lot different than how I'm coming at it. I'm more wondering, though, how you would define the landscapes of your life. <laughs> I don't know, mountainous or,
1: or um, it's all basically volcanic ash. Okay, okay. it's like one bleak dystopian landscape after another. But that's
0: what you're getting away from. So why would you want to get away from that dystopia? You're living a speculative life.
1: It's true, but I like to go back to sort of a medieval times Mm. type, you know, hop on the dragon.
0: Yeah, it's a feudal landscape. Yeah. Okay, cool. Essentially. Cool.
1: Yeah, so how about you, Scott? What's your relationship to genre fiction?
0: Whew, okay. Um, Well, as for a A straight definition of what types of writing genre fiction encompasses I don't think I'm gonna be able to do any better than than you've just done so I think I'll let your definition of those particulars stand and talk instead about my relationship to fiction of this kind in general Um, so that said I guess genre fiction has meant pretty little to me personally I've only ever really considered it from a distance Although this hasn't stopped me from feeling that I've understood it nonetheless. So maybe something like, I don't know, the relationship uh, Miami Vice-obsessed Eskimo has with palm trees. (laughs) It doesn't really matter that I've never actually had contact with this thing, because it sure feels like I have. Mm. And I felt that way about genre fiction. Um So along those lines, genre fiction has always been most important to me as a kind of abstracted literary other against which I've positioned my own tastes. Although, if I were to actually investigate those feelings, I'm pretty sure I'd find that I really have no clear definition of the term. It's basically always been a murky catch-all for books that have seemed childish or embarrassing. And obviously a lot of this I know comes down to my own insecurities and the ways in which taste, especially from adolescence through college acts as one way in which to set yourself apart from your own environment. And the corollary of that, I guess, is the assumption that what you read reflects your own sense of self. And there was just no part of me at those points in my life that wanted to be connected to dragons or spaceships or swords or lasers.
1: We were so different. I, I, (laughs) um,
0: I mean, I guess it's like an aspirational thing. And I didn't see any of that when I looked at where I wanted to be or thought I wanted to be. I don't know. I guess the larger thing that underlies this was my assumption that any fiction detached from the world as is or was is inherently juvenile or less than serious. So I don't, what's changed since then? When's this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, for one, I guess I realized how stupid all of those assumptions were. And second, I actually interacted with genre work rather than just dismissing the hypothetical image I had of it. Um, namely, I realized... What seems pretty obvious to me now. I already liked a lot of speculative stuff. It just wasn't literature. Movies and televisions mostly. And after getting past my snickers at the Kevin Sorbo Hercules in the Desert Dothraki parts of Game of Thrones. I had to confront the fact that someone doesn't watch that many episodes of something without being attracted to something in it. And in thinking about what exactly that element was and talking about it with Bree, with you a little bit. It made us think of books. If there was something there, what medium might better isolate and dig into that element than literature? And regardless, if I was going to keep having such strident thoughts about something, I might as well know what I'm talking about. So, here we are. Importantly, though, while I think a lot of these assumptions about the worth of speculative fiction have disappeared in recent years, I don't think my larger point about that seriousness, quote unquote, of the forum really has. So that's still one fairly untested assumption that I'm excited to think a bit more about as we go along here. I mean, I've always kind of balked at the suggestion that speculative fiction is actually deep, simply because it talks about supposedly deep stuff. Um, Like, were someone to tell me, no, listen, this book is about warring alien creatures or evil wizards or cyborgs, yeah, but it actually says something really resonant about humanity About colonialism, or subjugation, or identity, or power, or love, or grief, or war, or whatever.
1: There go our first five books. Well, I know, right?
0: (laughs) But my thought's always been, well, yeah, sure, but you know what I bet really says something even more resonant about those things? Books actually about recognizably human experiences with colonialism, or subjugation, or identity, or power, or love, or whatever. Were my primary interest at any time, like a desire to reflect upon... I don't know, loss or morality, or mortality, I'm still going to go with Tolstoy over The Walking Dead, regardless of the body count in the latter. And I do recognize, again, the problems with a thought like that. And that's partially why I'm excited to see if, after doing a lot of these episodes and reading a lot of books, I start to revise that. Or, ideally, if I see that not only can these books actually say something significant about these themes, but they can actually do it through the form itself. So, like, the fact of being speculative is what actually gives it a resonance that would otherwise be unavailable to works needing to toe some sort of realistic line or other. Regardless, though, uh, we're far from that potential realization. And what I'm here for as of now, or what I hope to get out of reading speculative fiction, is something fairly different. A lot of this, obviously, is based on my consumption of speculative work in, in other forms, or what I look for when I reach for something speculative is a sense of wonder or a sense of awe. This seems like something to me potentially unique to the genre, too, which is interesting. The ability to convey immensity in various forms. Like, as you've said, Brie, already, in the stakes itself, but also in the world. It's it's a world-building thing, I guess. And primarily the nice, quiet, or subtle ways in which works can hint quickly at the deep history underpinning these worlds, and then move on. That seems to me like something unique to the genre. Or, if it's not unique, then at least it's primarily the terrain of speculative fiction, and one that's not easily mimicked by other genres without them having to give at least some nod towards genre fiction. And for what we'll be dealing with here mostly, my sense is that there are many ways for speculative fiction to do this. Fantasy has access to immensities in time, when they outline the past of their cultures, and science fiction can access immensities of space. Although I guess they can do the same with time for individual worlds. Regardless, that's what I'm here for, I think. Something very literally awe-inspiring. Something that simultaneously places me, both me and the characters I'm reading about in a broader context, and makes me feel how small we both are, and how that smallness doesn't actually matter because, in the end, there's still nothing more important to everyone than themselves. So, short story, way too long, then. <laughs> That's my history with genre fiction, for lack of a better term. And a bit of my hopes about what I might get out of this podcast. Okay. What about you, though, Bree? I'm kind of intrigued. My expectations for the podcast are probably a bit easier to articulate than yours, considering your familiarity with this stuff already. Mm-hmm. So what then do you hope to get out of this?
1: Well, before I answer your question, I have to move back to one of your points. Okay. When you say, is, you know, if I want to read about loss, I'll read Tolstoy. All right. And I give you that entirely. But most literary fiction is not Tolstoy. Correct. I mean, we're not I, – I don't mean to in this book say um, – read books and say this book is better than any other book in the world. I mean to read books and say, was this a good book?
0: That's a good point. I shouldn't have said Tolstoy then, but he's some a name. I could have named a shitty literary author because still I would rather go to a book that's dealing with loss in a human world than dealing – if I'm looking for that in a book, if I'm looking to get something said to me about loss or mortality, I'd rather deal with a book about human experiences with loss and mortality rather than – Dothraki experiences with mortality yes there might be something like vaguely tangential that I can get from that and then apply to my life and see reflections of it in it but I think by definition that's going to pale in comparison that's actually talking about something in the realm of human experience but I'm not saying that's bad or that the books are bad for that I'm saying that I'm expecting to come to these for something other than that therefore I don't really care if they're trying to do something bigger Because, like, they're primarily valuable for this thing that literary fiction can't do.
1: That's a good point. Fair points all. To get back to your initial question, what am I looking to get out of this podcast? Well, first of all, I'm looking forward to reading books that I wouldn't read otherwise. Just because I really like fantasy books doesn't mean I'll just read any sort of semi-well-reviewed fantasy book out there or that I'll read hard sci-fi or any of the other things that we're planning on getting into in the show. So while I come at them with a little more of a sympathetic eye than you have, uh, there's still things that I might not read otherwise.
0: Anything with a male protagonist.
1: (laughs) It's so true. Um, Yeah. So beyond that, genre fiction has always been something that I read in a vacuum.
0: Is it cramped in there?
1: you know if you read a really well-reviewed book that's just gotten a lot of awards and it's a literary fiction then you go online there are a ton of reviews by reputable people you can read there's podcasts you can listen to about it etc but for me when I read speculative fiction I'm just reading it for myself and I only talk I don't talk about it with anyone I think about it In my own head, most of my friends don't read speculative fiction, so I'm excited about discussing it with you, discussing it with someone else who's coming at it with fresh eyes, not sort of colored by, well, yeah, I've been reading this type of thing since I was 13. I know what's up. So I have a question for you. Thank you. Uh, You've mentioned how silly you think fantasy is and how, oh, there's a dragon, so none of this can be taken seriously. But are you put off by fantastical elements in literary fiction? I mean, does the talking cat in *Master and Margarita* bother you? Do you dismiss it then, or the cyclops in *The Odyssey*?
0: That's a really good. That's a really good question, and part of what I was grappling with when I was thinking about how these feelings towards fantasy have played out across the span of my like culturally consuming life, mm-hmm. and not to sound whatever, but I do think they have been generally consistent if i look at the literary fiction um that i've you know read through my life little of it i look back and say now like oh i was i was like a hypocrite and lying to myself because like all of my literary fiction i had these elements and it's not tr- true i really didn't watch movies or read books that had those elements right so but
1: you've read both the books i just referenced right
0: right right yeah but i they none of them are like my favorites and and in that sense too i've always hated the odyssey and loved the iliad you know i hated the episodic we're going to a a cyclops land and now we're going to this place and wanted nothing to do with it and really liked the kind of human drama of war in the iliad minus whenever the gods intervene right you know that wasn't interesting to me
1: even in things that say haven't inherent magical realism to them did you uh hundred years of solitude
0: totally into hundred years of solitude
1: even when it started raining flowers
0: yeah i mean that was so long ago i can't really remember what my feelings were Mm -hmm. but i remember as an like a general impression i liked it a lot but that wasn't the reason i was there i never sought out more magical realism after reading that
1: i mean that being said you're talking about these books as if you can just chop those elements out of them
0: right and you can't of course and I and I realized that. Maybe a different way to think about this is the fact that I probably am accessing the same things that you are, but just through a different lens. So I don't need this kind of weird, fantastical alien place because I'm actually kind of also really interested in history. And to me, that's also very strange and alien. And so I probably was doing a ton of fantastical reading in my life, but I could label it something different because it's history, right? If you're reading about the 18th century, I am in a different world. And that's nice. And I'm escaping in that sense, too. But I'm also not. Um, so I do think that our impulses are similar. And that's why I think we can get something joint out of this. And when I realize that what I'm getting out of reading about the 30 years war is something probably very similar to reading about anything in Westeros, right? I mean, there's, it's the same lack of identification with anything having to do with my life now. That nonetheless intrigues me.
1: Like that line. uh, What is it? The past is a foreign country line?
0: The past is a foreign country. They do things differently there.
1: (sighs) Look at you knowing it.
0: Well, this might be a good spot then to move on to our actual first first book we tried to read.
1: Mm, Tried to read. Yes. Yeah, this might be the time to bring in (laughs) Dragonflight.
0: (laughs) Dragonflight. Maybe we should just talk a little bit about the book. Yeah why it almost derailed our whole project before it even
1: started. Right. As I said, uh, I like genre fiction. And I was reading this and I started to think, like, shit, do I like genre fiction? <laughs> I mean, okay, so
0: here's here's our admission. Our first book we we're going to do, I got maybe 70 pages through it. Bree got 120 mm-hmm. before we looked at each other. And we, we've, we told ourselves we're not going to talk about the books until we get on the podcast. Right. Gave each other a knowing wink and nod and said, we, I can't, I'll kill myself if I have to keep
1: reading this book. This, right? Yes. I can't remember the last time a book felt that, like, every page was work. I mean, I mean, even having read, like, books that were difficult to read that I didn't like. Yes. This book, the the, the writing in this book, it makes me stop about t- twice a paragraph <laughs> and say, what did I just read? Why did it happen like that?
0: Yes, exactly. I mean, I think that's a good way. Maybe we should talk about even what's going on. Let's mm. take the hundred pages dragon you Ply. read and say, if that was its own standalone book, what's the narrative there? Uh, or is it even obscured, like no, behind? No, I mean, the I
1: will say I, I, th- I thought the best thing first. of the whole hundred pages that I read was the prologue for two pages. So what is it?
0: What's dragon it was just about? Just straight
1: exposition. Uh, it said. Far in the future, human beings have colonized another planet. they kind of forgotten their Earth history. This planet, uh, another planet, revolves around it every 200 years. And every 200 years, these alien invaders, who I never saw, called Threads, uh, cross over. And the only people who can fight these Threads are dragons. And so a special class of people are trained to be dragon riders. So it's about these dragon riders. Now, oddly, and this was a problem I had. A, a huge, my like, premise of this was that. People... a promising
0: premise. I've it just just said out loud without the writing. Yeah. It's a pretty promising premise. Like someone told me that I'm kind of there, where humans colonizing another planet. I think the implication was that they'd lost contact with the home planet and therefore they lost cultural or communal memory of the fact that they came from mm-hmm. somewhere else. And so they're kind of primitive in their technology, but they still nonetheless have these
1: yeah. I mean, remnants
0: it's, of an intergalactic society, right?
1: Although I did think it's a little weird that human beings developed the technology to colonize another planet and then went immediately to feudalism. <laughs> like they were basically right. like at a renaissance fair.
0: <laughs> the most <laughs> promising form of <laughs> colonization, <contemporary laughs> colonization.
1: Yeah. yeah. And also the fact that, I mean, this I just is huge. There's an alien invasion every 200 years, yet everyone has, like, it's kind of myth. Like, people don't believe that they'll invade again. And for some reason, because they do have writing, the only way that this information can be passed down to the generations is songs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: So, like, you know, it'll have a character say... Oh, I remember that one song talking about, you know, when the Red Star grew and the Dragon Riders rode out. <laughs> and it'll be like, wait, how about that's just written down because they're about to destroy your planet.
0: What oh, I thought was great, too, is that there's like a thread throughout where someone would be like, oh, they're coming. And everyone else would be like, that's a fucking lunatic. <laughs> Who is yeah, completely. Cr- crazy person?
1: It was crazy. So I guess the heroes of the book, who are the protagonists, are the people who believe that this is coming. Because obviously, it decimated it half like, their population. It too. seems
0: like there's a society that maintains whatever dragon slash military yeah, symbiosis that needs to... like make, They're, they're yeah. falling out of fashion. Right. Of
1: course. And they need a werewoman. And I will say... A what? A, a werewolf. They're called... Like a werewolf. <laughs> it's W E Y R and you know the the place where people live, the communities are called wares, is that correct? I think I guess or so. or maybe as community where the dragon lives. Anyway, I actually have to ask you this because I haven't. When they look for the wear woman, who turns out to be quickly Lessa, it's obvious it's gonna be her from the beginning, <laughs> um, who's you know, like a wronged noble who's been pretending to be poor and ugly. Right. Um when the dragon riders come to find her, they're kind of, there's something lascivious about mm. them choosing her. And I definitely thought the next hundred pages of the book was going to be all the dragon riders <laughs> fucking her <laughs> and impregnating her. And that's how you get new dragon riders. And so I, I was into that. And then I don't know if you got this far, but when she becomes a like none of that happens.
0: Oh, it doesn't? I mean, I definitely didn't get that far. Um, Okay, wait, so, yeah. And I guess this might be something we come across, too, when we're reading this. I guess like any literature, too. This was written, I think, in the late 60s. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: And maybe to me it seems more...
1: You're old Anne McCaffrey. Right,
0: right, exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, if you're reading a, I don't know, like a Norman Mailer book or something, Mm -hmm. the sexism has its place and is visible because you can relate it to that time and place. But, like, it seems like a difficulty of genre to get over that they're going to be writing so much of their time but still like setting their narrative in this different crazy place so maybe something we want to work against like I feel like every genre book is going to be outdated in five years when people realize like oh look at this future society where they treat women like shit (laughs) you know
1: that's an interesting thought except or I was thinking okay so I guess we said we weren't going to talk about like the big people but like um, Heinlein for instance, mm-hmm. uh, his books are really sexist, okay. like insanely so, like the, all the women have big boobs and they just like want to have sex with whoever the protagonist is. So
0: it's a realist fiction.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> basically, it's like a diary, Okay. Um, <laughs> but it still actually does feel othered in a way and it feels like it is reaching towards something sort of. In the future.
0: So that seems like the central thing. Like, how do you reconcile your very presentness with the othering that your plot's trying to do? And I guess we'll see how well some of the books we read do or do not. Mm-hmm. I feel like Dragonflight, we both might agree, failed.
1: Failed badly. But, okay, but it's not even these ridiculous plot points we've been talking about, I feel like. Or the fact that it feels dated. It's the fact that the writing...
0: That's the main thing. I think you hit on it, right? We put it down not because, like, oh, look at this madman sexism. Yeah. But, like, it, I couldn't read a paragraph without wanting to shoot myself.
1: I mean, do you have any. I did. Like
0: a- I mean, the podcast almost blew up just because this confirmed all of my horrible fears, all those stereotypical fears about what general. And that's genre what I was thinking. Like. I was
1: reading it. I was like, Scott's going to be. Done with this, but um, her use of adverbs is like she's, I mean, just about to turn 13. She's never been <laughs> she's, an adverb, she's been let out on a piece of paper. Uh, one I particularly liked was his hand tightened warningly on her arm, <laughs> just warningly, you know, in case you don't know what that means, right? Uh, eyes flashing angrily, lounging indolently, it's yeah.
0: just throughout. I mean, it's, I guess. And this is hard because, like, you know, the implicit argument underlying us making fun of this is like, oh, everyone has to write, like, in a really terse, straightforward way, like, a la Hemingway, blah, 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 which is stupid because it's not it, right? We're just saying, like, she wrote so bad it actually made everything she was trying to say vague.
1: That's a great way to put it. And it also took me out of the narrative completely.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, it's been so long since we've read it. I feel like...
1: But I actually did jot down, and this isn't an adverb thing, so maybe... This was the kind of sentence that I had to work through. As I said, aware, or you know, like aware is a place. Okay. The shabby wear reflected the deterioration of its purpose in the scheme of life on perm. <laughs> it's just such a difficult thing. Just say. There are
0: 45 ways to say that more clearly. Say
1: the wear was dilapidated. Mm. Or be more lush. But that just doesn't. I mean, I really had to stop every three words. Right. So that was rough.
0: Also rough is that a guy was named Fax. (laughs) F-A-X.
1: Yeah, the names. I'm actually excited about that. Talking about the names in all these books. Because it's such a funny thing if you think of writing genre fiction to be like, all right, the names, you know, I wanna other them somewhat, Mm. but I want, you know, I assume at least for the time being it'll be humans reading my books. Right, Right. So I want them to be pronounceable by human tongue.
0: I mean one of them is F apostrophe. Nor. <laughs> Finor. I, I guess, I mean, whatever. You can name what it, your character whatever you want, but uh, I don't know.
1: So, the point so, is... So,
0: that's part of my prejudice that I need to get over when I read these.
1: Right, and I was afraid of that, and that's one of the reasons that we called it quits on Dragonflight. Maybe if this was a book we were doing later on in the podcast, we could just say, all right, fuck it, we have to do Dragonflight. But... uh
0: To start. There's no need to start. Yeah, that. yeah, we don't. Especially when one paragraph starts. Falar was hardly bored with the lady facts that so courteously assigned him. She giggled incessantly and sneezed constantly. <laughs> Try reading that. Well, I don't know. Every sentence in a paragraph.
1: It's okay. just difficult. Exactly. Um, so basically, we said goodbye to Dragon Plight. We let it go.
0: But, but with we killed it. But with admittedly a bit of shame, that were we not fulfilling our assignment. This is exactly what we're supposed to be doing, right? Reading books and getting through them and thinking, how do we reconcile the way we felt about Dragonflight with the fact that I think on Amazon, it has four and a half stars out of 350 reviews.
1: I think it's just that it was the first book and it's a bad book and we didn't want to go through it. But also, I think it's reconciled because I like genre fiction, which means I know that some of it's good. I know that a lot of it's good. Right. And I don't think this one is. And so I don't feel a need for our first book to be a book that you, who's coming at this with already these prejudices, will hate and I think is bad. Right, right.
0: Maybe another thing that should have tipped me off to this, and this is another assumption I have coming in that maybe we might need to, I'm sure we can talk about. So this is the first book of like a whole series set on Pern. Mm-hmm. A whole series meaning like, I think there are 30, 40 fucking books mm-hmm. set on this one fucking place. And, like, that's an assumption I have about, like, genre fiction. Like, what is the worth of a book that's just a fucking cog in a machine of tossing out the same thing? And maybe it isn't. I have no idea.
1: I have no but problem with there being a lot of other books. Actually. I have a
0: harder book. And that might... Or I have a bigger concern with that. And that might lead us into our next book a little bit. We can talk about that. Hey, it's
1: interesting that that's what you think leads us into our next book. Where yeah. I already... We already feel differently. But yes. The book we chose is Anne Leckie's Ancillary Justice.
0: We're getting on that Anne train.
1: Yeah, these are all going to be books written by Anne's.
0: Yes. Next uh-huh. book will be by Anne Margaret. Uh
1: huh. And Anne, then we're doing Anne Lamott.
0: Yes, and Anne Hathaway's autobiography.
1: <laughs> Actually, we're the first people to get that. So stay tuned.
0: Yes. Spoiler
1: She gets a haircut. Double spoiler, I ghost wrote it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right thank you for joining us on the first episode of genre stop for brie i'm scott and make sure to join us next time when we discuss oh shit you're
1: right. and
0: oh uh, yeah hate you hate goes talking to himself on